Let's go ahead and get started. We are on section seven of our church information class. Uh, we are looking at what we confess about the Sabbath day and worship. What we confess about the Sabbath day and worship. Uh, Chris, can I get you to open us in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to gather today. We thank you for the instruction we are about to receive from your word, um, that we should apply it to our lives, that we are um, bound by it, by um, the love and grace and mercy of Christ Jesus who died on the cross for us. We pray for your instructions today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, when we consider what we confess about the Sabbath day and worship, we are still looking at query number five, which says, to the end that you may grow in the Christian life, do you promise that you will diligently read the Bible, engage in private prayer, keep the Lord's day, Regularly attend the worship services, observe the appointed sacraments, and give to the Lord's work as He shall prosper you. And what we're focusing on in those in that query is uh, the the phrases "keep the Lord's day" and regularly attend the worship services. Uh, those are uh, duties that if you become a member or if you are a member, that you will be expected to keep and to keep the Lord's Day and attend the worship services. Exodus chapter 20 and verses 8 through 11 gives us the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So there we see the Lord in his uh, giving of the moral law, separating, uh, commanding the separation of one day in seven to be devoted unto him. So what is the purpose of the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day is the day set apart for the worship of God so that God may communicate more of himself to us and that we may honor our God by devoting one day of the week to himself, which is uh, the command, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. It is not abolished, as many uh, people teach, because its roots go to the very creation of the world. The, the Sabbath day is not a, an ordinance that is instituted solely part of the Mosaic Law. It's not a Levitical law. It's not a ceremonial law. The Sabbath day is a creation ordinance. It's found in the creation in Genesis 2 verse 3 prior to the law given at Sinai in, Matthew, or in Exodus uh, 20 and verses 8 through 11. It is a creation ordinance alongside marriage and labor. And so the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, 11 reminds us of 
this being a creation ordinance. Uh, you see there in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And it's noteworthy that the Hebrews celebrated the Sabbath day before uh, the law at Sinai. And you can see that in Exodus 16.29 where Moses is speaking to the Israelites about the collection of manna and uh, remembering the Sabbath day when collecting the manna and so not uh, and so collecting enough on uh, the day before to be able to provide for them on the Sabbath day because any of the manna that is left on the ground uh, overnight would would rot would would waste away uh, and would not be edible uh, and so we see there Moses uh, reminding the Israelites of the Sabbath ordinance. And that's prior to the giving of the law. As a creation ordinance, it endures just as marriage and labor endure. The Sabbath was first given to Adam, not Abraham. Uh, it was first given to Adam, not Moses. The Sabbath was given at creation. Uh, and so no one would say that marriage is done away with in the new covenant. No one would say that our duty to work, to labor, is done away with in the new covenant. So why would you say, why would anyone say that the Sabbath has, done, has been done away with in the New Covenant? It was rooted in creation, and so it endures for all time. Um, the only way that the Sabbath uh, can change is if God changes it. Um, and so the Sabbath principle, being a creation ordinance, endures. It lasts forever. But the different aspects of, of the Sabbath, of Sabbath observance, has changed between the old and the new. And so it's important to understand there is a difference in what is required in Sabbath observance under the Old Covenant as uh, compared to what's required under the New Covenant. But the principle remains. So, uh, the, the Sabbath under the Old Covenant would have been when you would go to the temple and bring your sacrifices. We don't do that anymore because those ceremonial aspects have been fulfilled. We do still come to the house of God and offer our sacrifice of praise. You see how it's the same principle but slightly different because those ceremonial aspects have been done away with, but the principle itself, Sabbath itself, is a creation ordinance and has not been done away with. Uh, the Sabbath day is also a uh, day of rem redemptive remembrance, to remember the redemption that the Lord has brought about in His people. In Deuteronomy 5, uh, the Sabbath is to be observed by those redeemed from slavery. 
Deuteronomy 5.15. It is God's gift that uh, preaches men must not be slaves to their masters seven days a week. You see that tie. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Now you are not to be slaves to your jobs, to your labors, seven days a week. You did not have a day of rest in Egypt. I, as a gracious God, am giving you a day of rest in the promised land. It was a day given to have spiritual rest in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's not a day meant to be a, a drudgery, but rather delightful to the Christian. It's an abridgment of religion, creation in Exodus 20, verse 11, and redemption in Deuteronomy 5.15. So when, when we observe the Sabbath day, we are upholding that creation ordinance, recognizing God as sovereign, as appointed one day in seven to be kept holy unto him. But we're also remembering his work of redemption and bringing us out of bondage and slavery to sin and death and bringing us unto life. And the Sabbath is part of the moral law of God. And this is another reason why it cannot be abolished. It cannot be done away with. It endures forever. All of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 are the summation, the summary of the moral law of God. And it's interesting, the same people who say that the Sabbath day is no longer binding will sit there and say that the other nine commandments are. Well, what is it about the Sabbath day that is different than the other nine commandments that makes you think that it's not part of the moral law of God, but the other nine are? Yeah. I mean, no one will sit there and say that the, the sixth commandment is done away with under the new covenant. You know, you'll never hear someone say, I take exception to the Westminster Confession of Faith's teaching regarding the keeping of the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And yet there are ministers and elders in, in various Presbyterian denominations who will sit there and say, you know, I, I, I take exception to the teaching on the Sabbath day. Now think about that. To take exception to the teaching on the Sabbath day, the, to the understanding, the Reformed understanding of the Sabbath day. To take exception to the Sabbath day is to say, I don't believe in something the Lord has commanded. You are taking an exception to the moral law of God. In essence, you're saying, I know better about what's good for me than God does. And, you know, some of you, many of you, most of you, will never be an officer in the church. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, the, that time's never going to come where 
I will have to, you know, state exceptions to the doctrines of the church. And so I don't have to worry about this. The moral law of God is not just for the officers of the church. The moral law of God is for every Christian. It's for every person. Christian or not. The moral law of God is binding on all people in all places in all times. And so while you may never have to stand before a court of the church and say, you know, I take exception to X, Y, and Z. Every time you violate the Sabbath, you are saying that in your heart, principally, you reject the moral law of God. Every person who's going through the drive-thru at McDonald's this morning is saying in their heart, I reject the moral law of God. Whether they recognize it or not. Every time you miss going to church because you have an activity planned or because you don't feel like coming because you're too tired because you woke up late you're saying in your heart I reject the moral law of God that's what sin is just so you guys know it's a rejection of the moral law of God in one way or another every sin is a rejection of the moral law of God It just it, it baffles me how people can excuse away the Sabbath day as though it's not important. As though for some reason thou shalt not kill is of greater importance than remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Think about that for a second. Do you view violating the fourth commandment, not upholding the Sabbath day, as equally heinous with murder? Because the Lord does. It's a violation of his law. I don't want to belabor that point, but I I just, I, I think that's important to note because our modern Christianity tries to tell you that this Sabbath principle is not binding upon Christians today. And that is garbage. So, so 
I, you know, we, we have access to necessity, the, the ox in the ditch idea. Um, so there, there's there's acts like that that are just we, 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 that have to be done to uh, save a life or to prevent uh, misery. I mean, I, I feed the dogs and let them out. You know, we take care of things like that. Um, but you know, it, it's inconvenient. That's why a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on, because I spent more time on that point than I intended to. Um, there, is, uh, there is a distinction between, or, or a difference between, uh, the Sabbath under the Old Covenant and the Sabbath under the New Covenant. And that is uh, the most obvious one is that the Christian Sabbath is on the first day of the week, whereas uh, the Old Covenant Sabbath was on the seventh day. So from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the Sabbath was on the seventh day of the week, Saturday. And from the resurrection of Christ onward, it is the first day of the week, Sunday, as it commemorates the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is so called the Lord's Day. Revelation 1.10 As it is the day that our Lord rose again from the dead in triumph, assuring us of our own resurrection. It is the first day of the new creation. After his resurrection, Jesus Christ met with his disciples on the first day of the week, John twenty nineteen and 26. And that is when they gathered for worship. Acts 20, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16, 1. The church had no power to change the day, but Christ did. And so the, the two aspects of, of the Sabbath, that it's a creation ordinance and that it's a day of remembering redemption, still are maintained in the Christian Sabbath because Christ at his resurrection instituted the new creation, a, 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 a day in which new creation entered into this world. Uh, therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away. Uh, and so in Christ, it is the dawning of the new age, which will come culminate in a further new creation where this world is destroyed and the new heavens and the new earth are instituted. But it's also a day of remembering redemption. The redemption that is found in Christ Jesus through the shedding of His blood, through His conquering sin, death, hell, and His rising from the grave on the third day, on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week, is why we worship and, and observe the Sabbath on the first day. Um, and then we are given the example of Christ in meeting with his disciples on the first day of the week. And we have the example of the early New Testament church of gathering together for worship on the first day of the week. So it's, it's important to remember <coughs> that because the Sabbath day is a moral law of God, it cannot change. And the aspects of the moral law of God in the different covenants cannot change unless the one who has instituted them changes them. Remember when we talked about uh, changes in, in elements of worship uh, in, in a sermon previously? If God institutes one thing, 
it cannot be changed unless God is the one who changes it. Same thing with the Sabbath. The way that God instituted the Sabbath could not have been changed unless God Himself changed it. And Christ did by His atoning sacrifice in resurrection from the dead, by His example in meeting with the disciples, and by Him instituting it with the early church. The Sabbath day is the only holy day in the New Testament. All ceremonial Sabbaths and feast days were abolished. Uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. And so the church has no power to institute any other holy days, such as Christmas, Easter, Epiphany, Ascension, Lent, or any other that the imagination of man can come up with. And if you, if you look at the church calendar, basically humans have turned nearly every day into a holy day. Because you can find some saint that's worshipped on one festival day for nearly every day. And then you've got the Sabbaths that are tied to all these different events. I just saw today uh, on Facebook that apparently the those who hold to the church calendar call today Trinity Sunday. I don't know what that means. And it's, a, it's incredible how the imagination of man can just come up with these things over and over, time after time again. And, and, it, and it diminishes from the Sabbath day. Uh, these days, these man-made holy days, they find no institution in Scripture but, are inst- but instead they were instituted by the power of the church. A power that Christ has not given to the church. Remember, from several lessons previously, the church has ministerial authority, not magisterial authority. Which means the church cannot create laws. The church cannot create new things which must be observed, which must be followed, which must be obeyed. The church has ministerial authority, meaning that the church has the authority to call upon the people to observe what the Lord has commanded, not what the church has commanded. Some directions on keeping the Sabbath. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen and 14 says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. There the prophet uh, speaking the words of the Lord is commanding the people that the Sabbath day is to be a delight. It's to be enjoyable. And that if we delight in the Sabbath day as the Lord has commanded us, then He will bless us. He will cause us to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed us 
with the heritage of Jacob. Westminster Larger Catechism 117 asks the question, How is the Sabbath or the Lord's Day to be sanctified? It is answered, The Sabbath or Lord's Day is to be sanctified by an holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time, except so much of it as is to be taken up in works of necessity and mercy, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts and with such foresight and diligence and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. And so the following are some ways that you may delight in keeping the day holy unto the Lord. Remember, it is a holy rest. It's a holy day with Jesus Christ. It's meant to be time spent resting in God. Resting from our works. We're to cease from our own works, words, and thoughts about worldly employments and recreations. Our words... Thoughts and actions are to be consumed with God, His majesty, the worship of the church in the church, and things that are honoring unto the Lord. And so we are to take up the time and public and private exercises of his worship and in duties of necessity and mercy. The whole day is to be spent as a day unto the Lord. Not just a few hours in the morning and then you go home and you can do whatever you want because you've observed the Lord's Day when you were at church. No, it's not the Lord's hour or the Lord's morning or even the Lord's half a day. From midnight on Sunday morning until midnight on Monday morning, the entirety of that day, the entire 24 hours, is devoted unto the Lord. And it's to be spent resting in Him. Not doing your labors that could have been done any of the other six days. Not talking about uh, the worldly employments and entertainment that you can enjoy any of the other six days. Not rushing home from Lord's Day worship so that you can get home in time to watch the football game. The entire day is devoted unto Him. And we are to cease from our own works, words, and thoughts about worldly employments and recreations. So how do we do this? How do we, 
how do we be how are we able to to do this and and rest truly rest on the sabbath day well a key component is to remember it before it happens remember the sabbath day to keep it holy prepare for it prepare for the day in advance if you read the old uh the old testament and the way in which the jews understood the sabbath day the day before the sabbath was called the day of preparation it's where they got prepared physically and spiritually but primarily physically for the day of rest that was to come the next day. And that, that's how it should be with us. We should, we should be able to prepare prior to the Lord's day. But that's not how we view it. You know, in our modern society, most people work nine to five Monday through Friday. And so Saturday is your quote-unquote off day. And instead of spending it in preparation for the Lord's Day, which comes the next day, you spend it in you know, filling it with as many activities as you can. Mowing the lawn, washing the car, Going shopping, going to the ball game, watching stuff on TV. Nothing's wrong with these things. But next thing you know, it's 12.30 at night or in the morning, Sabbath morning. And you've done nothing to prepare for the Sabbath day. You, know, you, 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 should, you should get your meals prepared beforehand. And I'm glad that we have fellowship meal here every week because that helps people to you know, not be tempted to go out and, and spend money in commerce on the Lord's Day. Uh, but you need to prepare that the day before. You know, Throw all of your ingredients into the crock pot and stick it in the refrigerator. That way it's ready to go on Sabbath morning and you just bring it and plug it in. Make sure you've got gas in your car on Saturday. That way when Lord's Day morning comes and you get in your car to come to church, that light on your dash doesn't start shining saying, I'm empty. And now you've got to go and engage in commerce on the Lord's Day. There's no excuse for general shopping on the Lord's Day. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna justify that in any way. You know, there may be an instance in where it's necessary to go and pump gas into your car. And I think, I think there is, in certain instances, leeway in which that is akin to feeding the ox on the Sabbath. Um, but it shouldn't be a regular practice. It should be a work of necessity, not a work of negligence. Plan for how you'll profit from the Lord's Day, from the Sabbath day. Um, we had a we had a fast day. I don't know if you guys remember it. Last year we had a fast day that the that the uh, denomination had had put down, and I sent out the information to you guys about this fast day. 
and you were to prepare in how you were going to benefit from that day of fasting beforehand. Um, and that's how you should look at the Lord's Day. How are you going to prepare yourself to benefit, to profit from the Lord's Day? Set aside the scriptures that are going to be read. I send out the bulletin uh, order of worship every week, usually on Wednesday. This past week was on Thursday, I'm sorry. But I send it out every week. Read the scriptures that we're going to be reading here in the service and meditate on those scriptures leading up to the Sabbath day. Consider the matters of prayer throughout the week and how we can be praying for one another. Consider how you can visit with people or host people in your home to show hospitality. Think of unbelievers to invite into your home and church. People who you can speak uh, about Christ Jesus with. The Sabbath day and observing the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, isn't just what you do on the Lord's day. You ought to be preparing for the Lord's day. You should not come into the worship service and say, man, I'd never heard that psalm before. Or that was an unfamiliar tune to me. Because I send out YouTube videos and Psalter.org links to every one of the psalms that we sing every week. Prepare yourself to come into worship by familiarizing yourself with the songs and with the Scriptures and with what our regular prayer requests are. It's because we do not remember the Sabbath day that oftentimes we find it a day without profit. It's because we don't prepare that we oftentimes find it to be a day of burden. You should map out your Sabbath days. You should prepare them. Prepare well for them. You must attend worship service on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath day. This is the day to devote to the Lord in worship. And if you're not, uh, if you're at church most of the, of the day, then you'll certainly profit from it. But if you're not here, you're not being fed with the ordinary means of grace. Our session understands that regular attendance in, in this vow, in this oath, uh, we understand that as being, uh, as being at the worship services. Regular attendance means being here on the Lord's Day when we call the church to worship unless you're providentially hindered. We understand that the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice. And so when your health does not allow you for being at the service, we understand. 
But if you are not providentially hindered from being at worship, and you are skipping it, you are violating the fourth commandment, and you are violating this membership vow for regular attendance. And, you know, that, that would include any time that the elders call the congregation to worship. Morning and afternoon services. If we have a special service because we're calling a fast. If we have a special service for a special day of thanksgiving. If we call the church together for a special service of covenanting. Any time that the church is called to worship, you're expected to be in attendance. You're to exercise your soul unto godliness. It's a day of activity. Think about how Jesus conducted Himself on the Sabbath. That is a barometer, a gauge of godliness. Ask yourself, would I rather spend time in the world or in heaven? Would I rather spend a thousand days elsewhere than one day in the courts of the Lord. Spend time, more time in prayer and in godly conversations on the Lord's Day. Read more of your Bible and spend time in devotional or theological books. Uh, when I was in Pittsburgh, my Sabbath reading uh, every Lord's Day was I was reading um, J.G. Voss's book on the Covenanters. You know, find find a good book that that stimulates your heart towards the Lord and, and thanksgiving for Him uh, and what He's done in our lives. Gather with other saints and speak of the Lord. Let your conversation be about the things of the Lord. Malachi 3.16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Don't cause others to labor for you. And I've already... Uh, gone into this, so so I'm going to make this part brief. We're to cease from commerce and dining out and anything that would make anyone else serve us. We're to give our servants rest. Why can many people not go to church and hear the gospel? It's because. Christian people calls them to work on the Lord's Day. I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but they, they said, you know, think of it this way. You go out, you're doing evangelism, you invite someone to church, and they say, well, I'd love to go, but I can't. I've got to work that morning. Oh, well, we hope to see you there sometime soon. Then you go out to eat after church on the Lord's Day and your server is that man who said, I would love to come to church, but I have to work. You are the one who is causing him from being able to worship the Lord on the day that he is given. We're not to cause others to work. The exception of that is very, very, Chick-fil-A is, is the wonderful example. 
of a company that is helping to honor the Lord's Day. And oh, by the way, they're the number one fast food restaurant in America on sales per store. Um, so they don't need the Lord's Day to generate enough sales to eat McDonald's um, regularly around the corner from where they are until the seven days a week. Um, it's a interesting phenomenon. Um, and one that defy, it, it's generally you have to open seven days in order to get enough margin, enough sales to, to, to stay alive. And the, the seventh day, the Lord's Day sales are very important to a lot of retailers. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever tried pulling into a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday but just to realize they're not open. Um, but I've done that once. I was out, out on the road. And for, you know, never thought about it. It was, it was, it was almost refreshing. Yeah, so, you know, there is a, there is a, uh, an aspect to the fourth commandment of uh, God's graciousness, not just to his people, but to everyone else as well. Um, the law of God to our neighbor is love thy neighbor as thyself. And if you wouldn't want to be working on the Sabbath day, you ought not be causing others to work on the Sabbath. You're to delight in the day that the Lord has made. Uh, see the blessing of Christian worship, Christian fellowship, and Christian service. It's better than any worldly pursuits, labors, or entertainment. Embrace the opportunity to commune with Christ and have holy fellowship with one another. Embrace the promise of the commandment that if you delight in the day then, thou shalt, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it, Isaiah 58. Embrace the fact that this is a picture of the eternal rest that you will have in Jesus Christ forever. If you do not delight in the Lord's Day, in the Christian Sabbath now, what makes you think you will delight in that eternal Sabbath which is to come? And then lastly, I'm going to go through this quickly because we're running out of time. Uh, just circling back to there is no other holy days in the New Testament. In the New Covenant, there is no other day declared holy but the Christian Sabbath. And our church does not conduct special worship services for Easter or Christmas. Typically, the pastor will simply continue the current sermon series and not even acknowledge it. If you were here this past December 25th, you would have noticed I just preached through Philippians. And I know there are differing opinions on the extent to which holy days ought not be observed. Uh, and I hope we all agree that in the church, they have no place. Uh, I would argue, and I believe Scripture uh, would argue, they have no place in the life of a believer at all. And here are a few reasons why. They are monuments to idolatry. They're not just monuments to uh, past idolatry. They are idolatry themselves. They are present idolatries. Christmas is one of the many blasphemous masses of the Roman Catholic Church. And then they also have syncretistic or pagan roots. I don't believe that the, the pagan uh, ties within these holy days, these man-made holy days, is as strong as 
some people would like to argue, but they're there. And they're undeniable. Another reason, and this should be very important to all of us, they displace the Sabbath. The Christian Sabbath comes with a commandment. And yet men dispute it. And yet Christmas and Easter and all these other man-made holy days come with no commandment at all and men will defend it. Adamantly defend it. What's celebrated on Easter ought to be celebrated every Lord's Day. The resurrection of Christ Jesus. The day of the resurrection is the first day of the week. And it ought to be remembered every first day of the week. And then the one that ought to have the, the most sway in us in regards to this, they are not found in Scripture. When Paul speaks about the celebration of days, he speaks of those things that God instituted in the Old Covenant. But Christmas and Easter are not instituted anywhere in the Bible It's telling how little attention the birth of Christ receives in the epistles. Almost none. And the resurrection tends to get all the focus. The resurrection ought to be the highlight of of what the Christian experience is. Looking to the resurrection and the future to come. And the resurrection... Resurrection Day is the Lord's Day. The resurrection is signified by the Lord's Day. This is why John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. When we're considering what we ought to do as Christians, especially when it comes to things religious, The question we ought to ask ourselves is, has God commanded this? And you can try to justify it all day long that you do a cultural celebration of Christmas. That it's not not tied to religious activity. It's not in the church. It's just something that you and your family do. But there is no such thing as a non-religious observance of a holy day that has explicit ties to religious things. They are an imposition they are impositions of unlawful church power. I've already mentioned this. Where did they come from? They came from the Roman Catholic Church acting as a legislative body. The church has no power to legislate. The church cannot implement days for observance. The church can only minister what the Lord has already commanded. To set a day apart as holy does not appertain to the elders of the church. It is like King Uzziah going to make sacrifice unto the Lord And the Levites looked at him and said, This appertaineth not unto you. Because he was a king. He had a function. And it wasn't to make sacrifice unto the Lord. The church has a function. It's to minister. Not to make rules. Not to legislate. And they obscure Jesus Christ. In terms of Christmas, no one knows the day that Jesus Christ was born. People believe that it was December 25th from church authorities telling them this. 
not because Scripture says it. And if, if the day of Christ's birth were important for us to know and for us to observe, then God would have told us. You look at all of the Old Testament holy days, you can actually pinpoint the exact day of the institution. You know exactly when it's to be observed because you know exactly when it was instituted. And God tells you exactly when it's to be observed. You know, in the fourth day of the, of the seventh month, God tells you when these things are to be done. Not so with any of these holy days, these man-made holy days. Christmas also uh, leaves an impression of Christ as a helpless baby. It doesn't show Him as the glorified Redeemer in power and glory never to be humiliated again. Christmas doesn't just break the second commandment. It breaks the first and the ninth as well. And the fourth. The observance of these holy days is a violation of the fourth commandment. And that may be a hard thing for some of you to hear. Because some of you may like your Christmas. Your Christmas tree and your Christmas presents. Your Christmas turkey. Some of you may like your Easter baskets and your Easter bunnies and your Easter eggs. But has God commanded it? What day has the Lord commanded to be separated from all the other days? The Lord's day. And if you want further evidence that man-made holy days displaces the, the Lord's day, look no further than driving down the street on December 25th and count how many stores are closed and how few cars are actually out on the street. And yet, and then compare that to driving on the Lord's Day. How many stores are hustling and bustling? And how many cars are out on the street that day? Which day is understood to be more holy by the vast majority of people? Even Christians. It's these man-made holy days. But there is only one day that's commanded to be kept holy, and that is the Lord's day. So why is this not legalism? Because legalism is making you do something not commanded, not forbidding something that is not in the Word. What would be legalism is for us to observe man-made holy days. What does, what does Christ Jesus say to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7? In vain do you worship Me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. That's legalism. Upholding the commandments of men, the, the, the tra traditions of men, and imposing them in the church and on, on believers. Observance of man-made holy days is legalism, not the forbidding of them. And so we encourage members, I encourage members, not to celebrate these days. And in fact, it's my duty to encourage you not to celebrate these days. Why? Because the Word of God says it. But also because 
The Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America says it. It's the law and order of our church, of the RPCNA, to forbid holy days. I can point you to four separate instances in the Acts of Synod which explicitly either condemn holy days, man-made holy days, or encourage members not to observe them. This is the practice of our church. This is the law and order of our church, even if the majority of people don't, don't understand that and don't practice that. So we are well past our time, but I wanted to finish that section. If you have questions concerning this, we can discuss those over our meal at lunch. Uh, but we have to uphold the Sabbath. We have to uphold this principle. It's our duty as Christians. Matt, can you close us in prayer? Amen. Yeah.